Office Memorandum. Jeremy Laguita, Barton Keys, Claims Manager, Los Angeles, July 16th, 1938. Dear Keys, I suppose you call this a spoiler when you hear it. I don't like the word spoiler. I just want to set you right about one thing you couldn't see because it was smack up against your nose. You think you're such a hot potato as a claims manager? Such a wolf on a phony claim? You're pretty good in there for a while, all right. You said it wasn't an accident? Check. You said it wasn't a suicide? Check. You said it was murder? Check and double check. You thought you had a cold all wrapped up in tissue paper with pink ribbons around it? It was perfect, except that it wasn't. Because you made a mistake. Just one tiny little mistake. And when it came to picking the killer, you picked the wrong guy. If you know what I mean. You want to know who killed him? Hold tight to your cheap cigar of yours, Keys. Neff killed him. And who told you? Me, Jeremy Legui, radio host, 30 years old. But what'd you expect? You're listening to Spoiler Alert. Wow, wow, wow. <laughs> a thespian. Scene. Okay. Wow. Ooh, that was outrageous. Full Fred McMurray <laughs> realness. <laughs> We're going to do an opening scene every show. I like to do the opening scene. Hi, I'm Jeremy Leguay, and I'm here in the booth today with my co-hosts Sonia and Sean. Hey, guys, how are you? Hey, Hi, I also have something prepared. I'll be reading. <laughs> we're doing that a live would be reading. Amazing. Okay, uh, today we're going to continue our uh, Golden Age discussions, uh, and today we're going to talk about a little little film movement called film noir. You heard of it? The dark film. Mm-hmm. <laughs> en français. Ah. Oui. Guys, let's uh-huh. get started. What makes a good film noir? Film. Spook. Spooky. Darkness. <laughs> spooky? No, nah, not exactly spooky, but atmospheric. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Ooh, atmosphere. Menace. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Tension. Uh, anxiety. I put, uh, from like a filmmaker's standpoint, like high contrast. Very mm. black, very white. You know? Yes. There's there's no a, no middle ground. A mise en scene, mm-hmm. if mm-hmm. I remember from my film 100. That's uh, that's a very good job. Thank you. <laughs> Thank Skirl? you, Professor Jeremy. Does that have something to do with yeah, it? Yeah, you certainly could. That yeah. has to do with the contrast of light. Is that right? Yes. Yes. We're both right. What's up, film professionals <laughs> what, in the what, house? What? what? Uh, I also think that there has to be like a needlessly complex element of the story. Yeah. That's not necessarily what the film is about. But, like, somebody else was doing something just in, like, Bond villain level of depth. It's yeah. almost like a red herring. There was, some oh, ma- yeah. there was many a red herring Absolutely. in some the films I watched. Most of <laughs> the birds. There's just a flock Sorry, of birds out there. Literally, right yeah. The birds are coming. Attacking birds oh, my God. Are, they're sitting in the stream of, like, warm steam outside. That, and that was almost Hitchcock. They're all kind of just waiting their turn so one can fly in the steam. <laughs> it's kind of creepy. What, anyway. what do you think, Jeremy, is a necessary element? Uh, well, I think all the things we've touched on. However, there's one there's one element that I'm going to bring up that does not need to be included, but I think really make really brings it home, and that's the voiceover. Yeah, voiceover I think ads. because there certainly are films without the voiceover, but uh, you know these are really based off books, so I think that's kind of where it came from. You know, like these sort of. Uh, Crime dramas. I don't know. I They're really pulp, pulp books, right? Yeah, I really enjoyed being in the POV of the criminal. Yeah, yeah I it think was, that's. It was really fun. Yeah. Well, uh, speaking of, we all watched Double Indemnity. Yeah. So, question one is: Can anyone tell me what indemnity means? It's a legal term. It is. Yes. 
to be to be paid out. Did you guys not Google this? Owed? No. no. <laughs> Indemnity. I believe it's from Greek. Oh, whoa. Dem being a root word. Are you doing this for real right now? Yeah. Okay. Dem being a root word, um, meaning uh, people, as in like democracy, mm-hmm. I think. This is a full hard guess right now. Okay. I, I'm now going to keep talking. I want, I now think we Indemnity. So, indemnation, would it be? Indemnity being the. Um, Indemn. Condemn. Ooh, it's got something to do with condemning. It's related because the in is a prefix. It's got an MN following each other. And the IN, I, if I'm not mistaken, is a prefix, prefix which means not. Mm-hmm. So, condemn means like. <laughs> How are you doing this? Oh God, I, I have an English degree. I know, but you're just unpacking this. I like. I like. I like um the words <laughs> etymology. Like etymology, words. thank you. Okay, Jeremy, what does it mean? Okay, you're way off. Am I? Yeah, late Latin, late Latin French. Wow, yeah. shock. So you late Latin. It, it was not in, really a condemn. No, it was it was impressive, but uh, the literal definition is security or protection against a loss or other financial burden. So we could double that. Oh, and you'd be double. You'd be double. Oh, because secured. of the two insurance claims. Yes. Because the, the insurance yes. policies. So, uh, Sean, what's what's double indemnity about? Give it, give it. Okay, yes. So it is about a um, an insurance salesman that they really try to make seem dark and sexy. <laughs> yes, and they, they, I think it worked. They succeed. Yeah, but it's it's not a, a profession that usually takes to that. Um, and he meets a sleazy lady who he immediately falls. Rude. Into. Well, she's a little bit. She's got an ankle bracelet. <laughs> Barbara Stanwyck. She's got mm-hmm. the jankiest wig. She is, yeah, Barbara Stanwyck, who actually is luminous uh, and is so good in this role. And I was very scared of her. She's quite dangerous. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, so she sort of casually asks him if uh, if she could take out life insurance without someone knowing. And he's, and he's very suspicious. And knows what she's up to. Like, so angrily. He's so, he just takes right off. Yeah. And he's like, bye, see you later. But then he's yeah. like, but I can't stop thinking about her. And then flipped his switch immediately and was like, I actually will help you do this. And mm-hmm. then I'll kill your husband. And then we'll split it. And we'll run off together. And she's like, didn't ask you that, but okay. <laughs> and then so he helps her formulate the perfect crime to off her husband and collect double the insurance if mm-hmm. he dies on... The railroad, <laughs> which I is forgot that's about true. That part. Yeah, I just if there's anyone who sells insurance, please let us know the what the deal is with with the payout in railroads. Because he's like, it's so rare that someone dies uh, in a rail car that they will pay out double. And I feel like doesn't seem not. Yeah, heart attacks can happen. I whatever. mean, insurance is kind of an odds game that way, mm-hmm. not unlike gambling, where like. The likelihood of something like that's the whole thing with risk assessment, right? Right. Anyway, but this like, is what, <laughs> but what what is it about the railroad? Like, is it just like? I wonder if it's time specific as well. It's like just like rail is the Maybe, safest yeah. way to travel. Yeah. Hmm. You want to get somewhere? You get there on two rails. You hear me? <laughs> yes, <sir. laughs> I do hear you, sir. That's uh, that's that's the only safe way to go. I found this movie so interesting because Fred McMurray, to me is the dude from the Absent-Minded Professor movies, mm-hmm. i.e. Flubber, the original. And so seeing him as, like, 
sexy, gruff <laughs> insurance Nefarious agent man. was a weird adjustment for my brain. Hmm. Um, but do do you guys think he pulls it off? Uh, I I don't know if any of these people pull it off. Interesting. I, I, I always I've always felt that way, and I wonder if it's just because you know my idea of manly is not what it was then or something mm. like that. But uh, you mean none of the like noir yeah, heroes? Yeah, like, like all you know, most of them until we get to like later ones, which we'll talk about later. Mm, okay, but um. Uh, yeah, like you know the Humphrey Bogarts, the all the yeah. all the main, you know, it's just like really, you know, that that was always kind of my attitude towards it. But uh, is it the lingo? I think it's part of it. Yeah, <laughs> like you know, and I also just wonder if the decision tree of those particular gentlemen, which is presented, because it's not logical, right? Like you don't fall in love with someone and agree to murder their husband. After a 20-minute car ride. And <laughs> your best friend is, like, the most, like, uh, attention to detail he's insurance like, s- investigator ever. He's got a little man. He's got a... Wow, this is weird. He's, like... <laughs> his, he's got a man He's got a man inside his chest <laughs> that tells him when something goes wrong. And he proves this by saying he almost married a woman, but then he found out that she was a sleaze. Mm-hmm. The man inside. The man inside told him. He's like, uh, what's that guy on CSI? Gil Grissom? A little bit of a Gil Grissom vibe. He, he, yeah. (laughs) Also Also, a little bit of... Sorry, I was going to say, what is the the guy from Arrested Development? He writes a book. Uh, It's called The Man Inside Me. (laughs) (laughs) And develops a major gay following. (laughs) (laughs) Tobias Funke. Tobias Funke. Analropist. Yes. Analysis slash therapist. I wasn't going to say it on the radio. I almost said it wrong. I almost did. <laughs> you just shout that out. He's also a never nude. Anyway. <laughs> yeah, that's true. He has, um, wears a lot of hats. David Cross. Great performance. <laughs> my, Iconic. My favorite part about Double Indemnity, which mm-hmm. I didn't remember until this most recent viewing, was the fact that you really do follow the villains of this whole story, and you see the good guy from time to time, but it's not about them at all, right? Like, it's about these two villains who are aligned and then turn towards each other and what happens. And, like, they're bad. Like, we yes. meet, <laughs> we catch, there's a daughter that we are led to believe Lola. is, like, a jerk. Like, Barbara Sandwick's like, I hate Lola. And then Lola was like, she, I think she killed my mom. And I think she <laughs> killed my dad. And I think, I she's, think she's sleeping with my boyfriend. Me. And oh my now God. she's sleeping with my boyfriend. Nino I'm also. Like, oh, this yeah, woman well. is... Nino Schiaparelli or whatever. <laughs> Shakelli. <laughs> it was a hot name. He was, I, on, he was on set for one day. I guarantee oh, you. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah. Barbara Stanwyck is fully destroying this woman's life, and we're supposed to be like, you know, like, Lola. But honestly, part of it is, I just, it's this, she, she's she got a bit of that broad character. There are a couple of the femme yeah. fatales in oh, these yeah. who have some of the broad elements. And I just am so drawn to her. Even, mm. at, even when she's being like, way over the top in this the line deliveries are a bit weird but there's something about her that i just can't i can't quit her oh, well, she's we incredibly charming there's no there's 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 no doubt and yeah. she takes care of business <laughs> she's got a plan yeah she's got a plan well, they both do steps ahead of everyone and uh i don't really understand how a person lives their life that the way that it was presented is this what people did before the internet Right, like, is it? Like there's no Netflix insurance schemes. No, no, but like just planning scheme. the perfect insurance scheme so you can do it at a moment's notice. But also and plan it for the last 
five years? Yeah, like, how long has she been working on this guy? Yeah, like it was just, mm. I don't know. Um, I did like how it was presented as sort of a longer story because, you know, it's like, oh, it all started last May and you have no idea how long ago that was. Like, what day is it? Um, just an aside, I remembered that when he first enters her house, or maybe the second time, mm-hmm. she's like, want some iced tea? And he's like, eh, maybe. And she's like, or a beer? He's like, I'd like a beer. And then she yells for the maid, and she's like, oh, no, it's the maid's day off. I guess you'll have to have iced tea. <laughs> <laughs> like, we can't move a step further no. if the maid won't do it. Oh, she doesn't know where the kitchen is. No, she, I, I, think, I think that was intentional. Oh. I think that was that was supposed to be like, I'm oh, happy. she knows the maid's not there. Oh yeah, no, no, she she oh. planned the meeting. With, it was contrived for the maid she, not to oh, be there. So I think the whole beer thing is like to make it extra apparent how contrived it alone. is. Mm-hmm. But I see your point. Yeah, no, that was that was them telling us that you know she planned that. I also was looking this up in relation to the Hayes Code that has been a, mm. a thread we've woven through this whole endeavor. Mm-hmm. Um, and the Hayes Code demanded that criminals should pay for their crimes on screen because they were originally going to have, uh, you know, a different ending. But instead, they made them mortally wound each other mm. just so we'll be like, it doesn't pay. Even though I was very into the whole scheme and I still want to do it. Mm-hmm. You're going to do it. Yeah, watch out. Good thing you just announced it on the radio. Yeah, you know, and it's huge spoiler alert coming, just so everyone's aware. Uh, it's Nitty <laughs> Show. Yeah. Uh, it's, I don't know why in the past I bought it so well. Like the whole, like, so the scheme was for them to kill the husband and then the main character takes the husband's place and then pretends to, like, fall off a train or jump off a train or some sort of thing. But... Much later, the investigator's like, the train was only going 15 miles an hour yeah. by that point. And I'm like, this should be obvious to everyone. Mm-hmm. Like, everyone should be like, oh, right. That's what happened. And that, not, that is true. And not only that, is there's many people that saw him on the train fully looking like a different man. Yeah. When <laughs> and that is like, ultimately his undoing. He did wear the same color suit, though. Yeah, because so. they bring that guy in. He's like, yeah, he was at least ten years younger than this guy. <laughs> and then like, also just like was straight up looking at him. Yeah, just, like had a convo with how him. Are you? Yeah, mm. that's it, a. It's a good movie though. Oh yeah, no, it's oh great. it's a. I yeah. like so the, it, relating to film noir. Um, I think what I like about the genre so much is the interiority. So like getting to hear because it's the thing that's so great about books in many mm. cases is like that look into someone as you were saying. But I really like the way that it is enacted in this style of film. Mm-hmm. It's and it's fun. just so moody and mm-hmm. so dark. Mm-hmm. And it's also like in L.A., like the sunshiny yeah. place. And it's like, it's giving such a dark, sleazy glimpse and I love. It's it's often in L.A., I think. That, I think yeah. that comes up quite a bit. Um, okay, so moving right along. On uh, 91.3 FM CJTR, Regina Community Radio. You're listening to Spoiler Alert, by the way. Um, what, this is, this is my Seinfeld question. What's the deal with the private detectives? Why is it always private detectives? Why is it never a cop or a, or whatever? It's well, just always a private detective. As we've just heard, sometimes they're sexy insurance salesmen. That's yes. true. But, uh, you, more often than not, you think of film noir, you think of a private detective. Yes. I think it's because they're a really, easy lone wolf character Mm -hmm. so that kind of archetype is a big part of it Mm -hmm. it's like sad lonely man and they also don't have to follow any rules exactly they're unfettered by the like system Mm -hmm. well and uh in other films you know the the cops always come up Mm -hmm. but uh 
Yeah, no, I'm just... There's always some sort of investigation, I think. I and think I, that's the core sort of theme. Because, you know, insurance in Sunset Bo- <laughs> Boulevard, that is kind of broken by, like, script writing. Yeah. But, uh, you know, there's always some sort of, like, what's this person doing? Let's find out. Like, digging into a story. Yeah. Or set of stories or mm-hmm. facts. I also love the interaction between the private detectives and the actual police. Yeah. They're mm-hmm. always just like, why are you again? <laughs> like, oh, cap it up, Mac. And I think it makes for, like, because then there's sort of two sides of conflict also. So you have, like, the cops mm-hmm. and then the invest- the PI in the middle and then the criminal on the other side. So they're, like, kind of between a rock and a hard place, so to speak. Well, I and I find that a lot of the kind of better ones crank that up where there's sort of multiple sides. Oh, yeah. And for five minutes, these guys are a team, and ten minutes later, they're not a team. Or, you know, like, well, we all got to get away from the police, so let's lie about this, and then we'll murder each other once they go away. And then a lot of double-crossing can happen, mm-hmm. too. Because, oh, yeah. like, Maltese Falcon, uh-huh. I think a few of us watch this week. We, we, I th- I yeah, cannot. I think there's so much double-crossing. Mm-hmm. Also. Quadruple-crossing. So much. Am I the only one who got confused about which woman was which? In Maltese Falcon? There yeah. There is only, like, one. Oh, I guess there's, like... No, wait. What are you talking one. about? His wife. Like, the, his partner's wife. Yeah. Who is dressed in black the entire time. The and same then, outfit. And then the other woman. Like, his secretary? Nope. The, like, the like main the, cr- the O'Shaughnessy. Really? O'Shaughnessy. Yeah. What? 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 How? I don't know. Wow. Sonia? I was tired last night. Oh, man. This is tough. Okay, carry on. Okay, then. you got anyway. In like, that one, there's some real good double crossing. There happens. is, and uh, you know, no one knows what's going on. One thing I like about the Maltese Falcon is that it's called the Maltese Falcon, and you don't see it until the and, very end, and, and halfway through, no one even knows what it's about. And yeah. when you do see it, it's very overwhel- underwhelming. <laughs> <laughs> like, well, that's gross. It's supposed to be like a jewel encrusted falcon. It's like a <laughs> Made of, like, gross chocolate. Is there a sequel to this film? Oh, I'll I'll find that Maltese Falcon 2. Because, if not, I invented a whole different ending to this movie that I thought was the way it ended. Uh, How did you think it ended? I I thought... Okay, you guys are going to laugh at me. I thought that the the jewel-encrusted falcon was, in fact, inside the fake, and that it's, it's inside. Oh. Because he keeps it at the end. Do you know that I remember watching a comedy called like the Malteser Falcon or something, <laughs> and it was about a, ca- a, a falcon made of candy, and it was also, it was kind of made in the, like a joking film noir way, like Maltesers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and it was like made of Mal- Maltesers. Was this by the people who brought a scary movie? <laughs> no, it was not. It was a, a bit of a, a classier affair oh. than than those schlubs, but yeah. I sh- I should look that film up. I don't know how it crossed my plate. Uh, I fully created not. this in my mind. Maybe huh. I don't know. I don't know if he, I thought he was taking it with the cops to put in evidence. I thought that was. But the... they take different exits. Maybe I don't. Do you feel the end of okay? And then my second question, sure. since yeah. I'm hosting this thing, most of Uh Do you think the ending is anticlimactic? Yes, I think so, but very intentionally so, right? Because the whole thing is this buildup of like, what is this thing? Mm-hmm. You know. And we get some text about it at the beginning. Mm-hmm. It immediately drops off to like very confusing a, title. A totally, di- a totally different thing. And then, you know, it's like, oh, this is you know, this is the thing. This guy's been looking for for seventeen years. I've been sitting for an hour and a half waiting for it. And then it's the it's not the real thing. Mm. You know, it's it's a total letdown. It's a huge. And the fat man just 
brushes this dust off his shoulders and, and keeps going. Yeah, lets his lets his man be uh, uh, f- well framed for some murders and Wilmer. Oh, he did, but didn't he actually kill at least one of those guys? I think so. Yeah, Wilmer. But uh, he's got anger problems also. Oh, yeah. oh well, I oh. was reading into a bit of this. Uh, there's a documentary called Behind the Celluloid Closet. I haven't watched. That's hilarious. But it's the a, title. It's about like covering up like um, homosexual characters in film, oh. and one of them oh. was the like the really weird Peter Cairo. Mm-hmm. Peter Laurie. Oh yeah, yeah. He Cairo play, played by Peter Laurie. Peter Laurie played him, and he's a strange actor. Super weird. And I kind of looked him up too, and I was like, he just is always uh, a creepy foreigner. Yep. Yeah, I think this has a bit to do with fears about communism because he is Czech, I believe, or Hungarian by descent, like was an immigrant. Mm -hmm. And so he often is put into this like, yeah, creepy foreigner role. Mm -hmm. And I think it has subtext of like Red Scare. And his like his voice and his eyes. He's awesome. I love him. Well, it's it's just the strangest character, right? Like it's this creepy little man thing. It has like become a movie (laughs) thing since then, right? Like it's 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 everywhere now. But, um, but apparently that character was explicitly written as a homosexual, and he, that's why every mm. all of his like everything smells like gardenias that he mm. like touches and like oh. he wears those white gloves. He's very no fussy reason. about his clothes, and um, that's a that's a bold portrayal. <laughs> they also the article said that he did a subtle fellatio motion with his cane when he was talking to Humphrey Bogart, which I did not notice. <laughs> I did not. It was very subtle. Got to be quick um, on the uptake ooh, for that but one. But apparently he, his, the object of his affection was Wilmer. And, hmm. and they cut, hmm. cut that out. And there was all these other instances where um, Humphrey Bogart said disparaging like code to Wilmer about him being like uh, a little pansy. Cool. Of which I didn't pick up on any because no. of the old timey slang. It's old timey. So they they like filmed it with that intention and then kind of removed it. I think then they probably were edited out some of it. Hmm. For a wow, bit. that's very that's interesting. Crazy. Yeah. Do you guys know the story? I don't know this well, and I don't know if it's. I think it's true. I've 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 heard about it and read about it, but about the Maltese falcons. Have you heard about this? Mm-mm. So they made five for the film. And they only know where three are today because two were <gasps> stolen. I love that. Yeah. That's great. One are they all the sick brown or are some of them actually? They all look identical. <laughs> they all look identical. Sick. And uh, they're, I, think, I believe they're all super heavy. Like, they're all made. But uh, one was stolen in, like, 2007. And then one, like, stolen in the sense that they wrapped shooting and someone just took it or something. But uh, no one knows where the other two are. And it's made the other three super valuable. And uh, apparently often like fairly often there is like someone who claims they have it and then they try and cash out before it's revealed to be a fake but in the, the I love it. like in the subtext of the film like that's an incredible thing that now this yeah. sort of real thing is happening like from this life imitated art yes. i love this is a fat man in a cairo running around <laughs> right now find one. 17 years looking for one of the well the one of the five which is just if there's one, that's something. But now that there's five, it's like... Uh, flood the market? You know, it's not as special. But yeah, no, it's, it's stolen and uh, people are looking for it. Okay. Also... Oh, sorry. No, you... you I was going to say... <laughs> <laughs> you can go. You go. Mine's fast. Yeah. Um, Sydney Greenstreet, who plays 
the fat man. Mm-hmm. Um, which also, it's like, come on, everyone. <laughs> like, <laughs> like name him. He's Kendrick. a man and he's fat. Yeah. And they're like, this sort of brown guy is named Cairo. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, totally. He's exotic. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, he is like one of the great character actors of classic film. So like, he was in Casablanca. Mm-hmm. He was in, um, he was the, the villain in um, It's a Wonderful Life. And I just think his performance in this movie is also really great. Like, he just brings this like, jovial criminality to <laughs> so many of his roles. Him and Peter Laurie have been in nine films together. Yeah. Oh, wow. They're just like popping around with everything. They're very good friends. They, that's a great... I think that might be my favorite like act of the film is um, the whole portion with them and, and the like back and forth between Bogart and Green Street. Um, mm. I'm going to talk about something I didn't like about the film, <gasps> which is uh, the fact that Mary Astor is the femme fatale mm. because I... I was like, I don't get it. Like, maybe a librarian fatale. Yeah. Or, like, an auntie fatale. But, mm-hmm. like, I did not get any... Th- I was just like, this is... who? This is the character we're on right now? Mm-hmm. This is, like, kindergarten teacher. Well, and it got frustrating, because it's, like, just like, is she lying or not? Like, oh, my what, God. What is she, your every demeanor? five minutes, she'd be like, okay, I'm sorry. I, this is the real story. And then blah, 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 blah. And he's like, yeah, I lied about it. And she's like, yeah, I lied about it. But here's the other, here's my, the real story. And I was getting so annoyed at her. But I did, I kind of like that, the, like, layers in her performance, because there is this one specific moment, I think it's the first time when he calls her out, um, where he's like, I know this is this whole like innocent mm-hmm. girl girlish thing is an act, and there's this specific thing that happens with her face. This like change where you see her like drop the mask for a second. So I agree, and she is a very interesting choice for femme fatale. But I do think she still has some moments of like very good performance. I I want to find Floyd Thursby, <laughs> <laughs> but I do think. With regards to her character, and this would not be her. This would be, like, from writing. Yeah. I think that it should have dropped, like, at that I first agree. hotel meeting. Totally. Where, they're like, like sh- she should have just been in on it and, like, okay, I'm not going to keep doing this. But then when the cops show up, she does it again. You know, like, that kind of thing. I think it's I think it's the whole thing of her being, like, like everyone in this movie, it's a question of where their loyalty lies. Mm-hmm. And the fact that up until that very last minute when he turns her in, ooh, spoiler alert, um, you're, like, not sure what everyone's truly feeling. or Like, I think it is that mm-hmm. question. I, I wish that it just, like... She was seemed so helpless. Like mm, every time she'd just be like, "Oh God, I wish I could tell you the truth." And it was, I was like, "You're in this <laughs> prison yourself, lady. You made it." And that is one of my particular beefs with the femme fatale, like with the the sort of film noir genre. Is like sometimes a femme fatale is. Barbara Stanwyck, and I'm here for it because it's agency for days. And sometimes they're just crying about everything and always need a man to save them. Yeah. And I, it's it's boring. But, and it is portrayed as like this manipulative thing. Yeah. But like, it's exhausting, especially like you're going to do this for 90 minutes for real, you know? But and a gal I did love was Effie, the capable secretary. Oh, yeah, oh, she was loved great. Her. She would just roll in, take care of business, save save his bogey's butt. I always thought roll out been, again. I always thought it'd been great if in uh, there was like a scene right at the end where she like, you know, they're like all held up or something. It's a tense moment, and she comes in, 
and he does something inappropriate, but like you see, like she's got like eight guns taped to her thighs, <laughs> because that's the kind of gal she'd be, right? Like she's there for you. She's yeah. like Superman or Sp- uh, Batman's belt, but a human being. Cool. She's and, like, uh, listen that's, here, that's see, I've I actually wanted. got the Maltese Falcon at home. <laughs> also, I, maybe I was just confused because he calls every woman angel. It's true. <laughs> so that was yeah. You've known each other ten minutes. Calm yeah, down, sir. You're not there yet. You she's not your not angel. There yet. <laughs> she's not dead, and she's not a heavenly creature. <laughs> okay. Anyway. A teaser for mm-hmm. after the break. Oh, I'll teaser. <gasps> I am excited to talk about one particular femme fatale from Sunset Boulevard. <gasps> Ooh. Who's her? <laughs> Who's her? Well, Who well, that? We'll have to. Leave, <laughs> we'll have to leave that as a mystery until we. Come back from uh, our short break here. Uh, you're listening to what, 91.3 FM CJTR, Regina Community Radio. And spoiler alert, uh, and we will be right back. Welcome back. You're listening to the spoiler alert on 91.3 FM CJTR, Regina Community Radio. Today we're talking about film war. But uh, real quick, Sean, Tanya, do you guys, do you know what time it is? It's uh, too dark to see it's my It's game watch. time. Oh, oh. Wah, 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 wah. Oh, for those who don't know, if you're just tuning in, the games where I spend literally all week trying to find a movie that these two have not seen related to our topic. I then tell them what the title of the film is. They tell me what they think it's about. I tell them what it's really about. We all have a good chuckle. And then the show continues on. Are you guys ready to play the game? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I believe I am. Uh, this week's title is Stray Dog. That title again... Stray Dog. Stray Dog. I think this is a modern adaptation of a film, like a modern, sorry, like a modern take on the film noir in which a 12-year-old child detective, who's a girl, mm-hmm. uh, named Sydney, mm-hmm. um, it finds a dog, and the dog has a note attached to it because it doesn't have a collar though because it's a stray dog um a <laughs> note stuck to it, it. It's, it's just tied to his ear yeah it's tied to his ear um and it's a mysterious note and it says help and then you can tell that another like letter was about to be written but it never was completed mm. so sydney decides she has to find out um where this dog came from and solve this mystery Whoa. i've never seen that darn cat <laughs> No, I have, Sean. (laughs) I'm not saying. I'm not saying that um, some inspiration (laughs) wasn't gleaned from that darn cat, Mm. but you know, a lot darker, a lot less physical comedy. Oh yeah. Um, There's oh maybe there's like an evil stepmother who's kind of the femme fatale character. Mm. Anyway, that's stray dog. Um, Sean? I think the Stray Dog is about um, a handsome realtor who is touring all of his uh, properties and finds that there is a man squatting in one of the, his homes. Um, and he initially is uh, not into this, but then he gets to know this man and they become sort of friends and he helps him with odd jobs. And he just, uh, f- you know, gently refers to him as the Stray Dog. And then... The stray dog sort of, the friendship goes a little awry and it starts to become a little more dangerous. And then the realtor finds that his only recourse is to kill the stray dog. To put him down. <gasps> to put him down, oh, exactly. That's good. Oh, man. And wow. things 
spiral out of control. Uh, wow. Do the, either of these uh, occur in black and white? Mine does. Mine is as well. <laughs> <laughs> Both. <laughs> um, all right. You're way off. I threw you a curveball. It's not fair, but uh, here we go. Uh, so Stray Dogs is a 1949 Japanese film oh. uh, directed by Akira Kurosawa, the, the man himself. This movie is off the chain. And I, I, I lied. Because it's a dog. A straight uh, dog. <laughs> I, I absolutely lied. I knew I was going to pick this movie once we decided to do this topic because I love this movie. It is about a detective in post-war Tokyo during a heat wave and somebody steals his gun and he, uh, the whole movie, he's just trying to find the guy who got this because he's committing crimes and uh, he never reloads the gun so there's only so many bullets left at oh. like each thing. And... Uh, the end is great. It's super unsatisfying. Uh, it could have easily been like a samurai thing, but it's not, and it's way better for that. And uh, it's just about like how hard Tokyo is after the war. All these super interesting things. It is amazing. That, that sounds great. Nice. And uh, this film, well, no, this game has been brought to you by the RPL Film Theater, oh, which glorious. is the best theater in town. Which we will be hopping over to... In the middle of February, mm -hmm. and hosting the Oscars. We're hosting the Oscars. Which you all should come to. Viewing party. <laughs> That's our that favorite joke. Try. That pause Honestly, kills me. I didn't realize that it was a joke the first time you did it, Jer. I thought you just had a long pause, and I was like, no, that's a weird way to say that. <laughs> yeah, we're going to host the Oscars. Viewing, Viewing party. party. Obviously. <laughs> I'm excited. It's Please gonna join be super us. fun. Yeah. It will be the best. Uh, are they? They're not live streaming the stream, though. Right, that's not they're they're streaming the Oscars at the RPL. So if you want to watch it and us, you have to go. Yeah. Yes. Yep. You yes. have to physically Correct. be at the RPL. It's going to be a great time. Oh boy! I'm going to wear a tuxedo T-shirt. A tuxedo T-shirt. <laughs> <laughs> if a every tuxedo. joke of yours is just a long pause. A T-shirt. Because <laughs> I'm hosting the Oscars. Viewing party. Right. <laughs> there it was. Now I get a little tingle of anticipation oh, every yeah. time. Uh, yeah, um, we've never, yeah, it's gonna be, gonna be awesome. I gotta do a quick correction. Okay, corner. Uh, welcome Sonia to Sonia's corrections up. corner. Well, okay, here's the thing. My mom, Dawn Stanger, a former stickler guest, for detail, as we noticed. God, she should be a PI. For She's films, actually outside right now, probably banging down the door. You said the wrong thing. Uh, okay, Peter Laurie was from Slovakia. Which honestly, it's like okay, it used to be Czechoslovakia. Mm -hmm. Calm down. Uh, and Sydney <laughs> Green Street was not, in fact, in "It's a Wonderful Life." That was Lionel Barrymore. So you mixing up your fat man? Oh, my old fat man. That's it's, awkward. Well, they get typecast, and this is what happens. Anyway, we white men—they all look the same to me, you know. <laughs> we were going to talk about a little movie called Sunset Boulevard. 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 What? What? Did you watch it, John? I'm sad. I have not watched it. I. Um, I see clips all the time of the musical <laughs> starring Glenn Close, which she apparently does an amazing job. Oh. And now going to star, um, uh, what's her name? From the X-Files. Oh, Gillian Anderson. Anderson. Yeah. And she, I think oh, she'll be great in that. Oh, she'll be so year. good. Um, but I have not, alas, seen the film. This is a movie that they make you watch in film school. Mm. This is like one that you cannot, like you will not graduate Unless you watch that simple. It's like, what is it, like number 12 on the AFI Probably. top 100? I wouldn't be surprised if it's even higher like than that. Um, 
What do you want to talk about? Well, okay, so it's uh, one interesting thing is like little did I know that Billy Wilder directed so many films that I love. Mm-hmm. Um, he's great. <laughs> it's great. Um, I w- mostly want to talk about the leading lady, okay, uh, okay. Gloria Swanson, who plays Norma Desmond. Um, coincidentally, a great podcast called Unspooled. Uh, they are doing like they do a thing where they are watching all of the films in the AFI 100, mm-hmm. and just this past week they did Sunset Boulevard. Whoa! So some of the things I'm saying I learned on that podcast. Okay. Citation where it's due. Um, this film is way more meta than I realized. Oh yeah, it's huge. Yeah. I had no idea. Well, it's about a scriptwriter. No, no, I know. But, like, <laughs> beyond that, there's, like, layers of meta. Okay. Hey, what do you got? Okay. So, Eric von Strahlheim, Strahlheim, I don't know how you say it, plays Max, her servant. Mm-hmm. He, so it's, spoiler alert, it's revealed at the end that he's her former husband and used to be a famous director. So did Eric von Strahlheim, who directed her in a film called Queen Kelly. And in that film... Oh, sorry, not in that film. In Sunset Boulevard, there's a scene where Gloria Swanson as Norma Desmond is watching Queen Kelly, which is the movie that he directed her in. And she actually was like a famous silent film star. Mm-hmm. And so the whole thing is just like, there's layers, y'all. Oh, yeah, that's shocking. And oh. they had a falling out be up about Queen Kelly, the film that she's watching in this film, um, and like didn't see each other until the filming of... Um, Sunset Boulevard. Yeah, no, it's crazy. They they there's a lot going on. There's so much going on. Yeah. Mr. Demille is in it. Right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Cecil B. Demille. Yeah, I'm shocked. And the line again, didn't know this, is not, "I'm ready for my close-up, Mr. Demille." It's Mr. Demille. I'm ready for my close-up. I've only ever heard it the second way, the like, proper way. There's also this Sunset Boulevard is full of things as the multi Maltese Falcon is as well mm. that people have just ripped off for a oh, hundred yeah. years. Like, well, I guess not a hundred years, but um, almost the you know it starts off with the whole "That's me" and mm. his corpse is floating in a pool. That's not a spoiler. That's how the movie starts. Yeah, uh, you know he's dead at the beginning. Yeah, and how he's narrating is beyond me. <laughs> that's uh, he's an angel. Oh, that's fun. But uh, yeah, angel. no, it's uh, yeah, it's a great movie. She is spectacular also. Oh, yeah. She's so huge, right? Like yeah. she's just like a giant almost. Like it's she Yeah. Just, she looms. Yeah. And she's always like baring her teeth. Mm-hmm. She's so intense. Which like makes sense if you think about her as like a a silent film star. Yeah. Like you had to be using your face mm-hmm. all the time. Um but they actually had to make her up to make her look older. Because they originally had, oh darn it, I didn't write this down. Someone else was originally going to play the main character, and then he dropped out because in real life he was having an affair with an older woman, and he dropped out saying he didn't think he could make it believable that he'd be having an affair with an older <laughs> woman because he didn't want the Hollywood press to find out. Yeah. So then they got William Holden. Who was like 30, I think, when they filmed this, but he don't look great. No, William Holden does not look great ever. <laughs> no, and like doesn't look like a youngish man. Well, neither did Humphrey Bogart. Well, ever. <laughs> no, <laughs> Humphrey Bogart. But I'm I think just have some of this water for, here. As Humphrey Bogart as like a sort of grizzled, like cynical detective, mm-hmm. it works for me. But this whole thing is that it's supposed to be scandalous that he's so much younger than Norma Desmond. Mm-hmm. 
but she looks great <laughs> and he doesn't. And no. so it's like, I think that takes away from it a bit. But um, anyway, I just find her magnificent. Oh, yeah. She's magnetic. Like she is. Yeah. Especially all the work that they put in to make her look the way that she does. Yeah. The way she's lit. It's just everything. It's lit. It is. Well, it's. <laughs> You know, you watch some of these movies, and even in Sunset Boulevard, everyone else is more realistic, and she's, like, literally stage-lit. Like, it is just constant. Mm-hmm. They put so much effort into it. It's great, yeah. I well, should watch. I need to. All mm-hmm. right, guys, I'm going to move us along here. Okay. okay. Uh, we're going to wow. talk about what the Internet has titled to Jeremy the neo-noir films. Uh, these are ones such as Chinatown. I don't know if you guys have seen that. Drive, L.A. Confidential, Memento was on the list. Mm-hmm. What are you guys' thoughts on this? Have you guys seen, for example, uh, Chinatown, which is uh, much... It's still older than sort of Drive or L.A. Confidential, but uh, Jack Nicholson, uh, film noir. It's in color. Mm-hmm. Uh, or young Jack Nicholson. You guys have never seen this movie? Because it is so. insane. It has one of the most complicated plots ever. It is a super horribly unsatisfying ending. And uh, it is just, like, you just go deeper and deeper into this rabbit hole. It's kind of like the Maltese Falcon in that mm. way, but it's way darker, way worse, way everything. Um, mm. Anyway, uh, there's also, I'm going to kind of jump into my next question here. There's also now newer films that are crossovers of film noir, like Blade Runner, The Dark mm. Knight was on the list. Mm. Sin City was made in film noir style, very new, but based off the comic book, which was also made in film noir style. Which is kind of a crazy thing. And in Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, there's a film noir. That's true. Universe. Yeah. I still haven't seen it. I need to. There's a a film noir Spider-Man that rolls into their universe. Voiced by Nicolas Cage. It's amazing. Oh, that's fun. Yeah, no, it's crazy. So the question that I have to ask is, is the film noir thing lost and set aside, or can you still just jump in? And if you do, what do you have to do to make it work? So, you know, is The Dark Knight... A film noir movie. You know, it's dark, it's gritty, use of light. There's no voiceover, yes. But... I think it... I don't think... I don't feel like I can fully, comfortably put it in that box. Mm-hmm. It's like I don't, I don't, spilling over the side of it. I don't it. think I can either. But definitely those elements are still so present. Mm-hmm. And I think both a like plus and a drawback is that... It's so in our collective media consciousness that we like immediately pick up on those cues so quickly mm-hmm. that I think it's really easy for it to be cliche, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but it also is really easy to use certain shorthand. So like you can use certain of those elements to just build that whole atmosphere. Sure. But like the Batman character himself feels like a very film noir. Yeah. Like, yeah. You know, character. The Christopher just like, Nolan Batman. Yeah. Especially. From his like. Like a a person driven by their past or like driven mm-hmm. by their like their weaknesses mm-hmm. and their pain. Their yeah. pain. Very like, you know, an investigative like process about like A leads to B, this yeah. is the plan. And then totally, you know, acting in a way that is just not okay for contemporary society to fix what's going on. Um yeah, it's just mm. it's just such a, a a strange thing. And uh I think that we all kind of would agree that there's definitely elements of everything pulled out, rearranged, used again. But uh, it really got me thinking about, like, how, you know, how much of this is, is prevalent. And 
before we do what you're watching, the mm -hmm. last thing I want to bring up, why do all these men kiss women like they're going to oh escape and shoulders. fly away? I am obsessed with people grabbing their shoulders and just smushing their face. It doesn't like, look Oh, nice. my God. Like, it what is this? very violent. It's so aggressive. Everyone, they're all into it for some reason. In the Maltese Falcon, he kisses her, and he does this, like, cheek move? Where he, like, pushes her cheek yeah. with his thumbs? And, like, are you trying to hurt her? Like, what? Like, is this a dominance thing? Like, I what think it's, is this? Uh, yes, I think it's a, I think it's a, like, dominance power thing. Like, the blending of, like, love being painful, or, like... It's it's fated to be impossible. Mm -hmm. But uh and it's Sonia, so maybe weird. you can answer this question. Is this how it's written? Like are there books where you know, like I grabbed her and like threw her across the room? Like is that a thing? Well, there's a difference between that and a weird face grab kiss. Okay. Maybe. I'm gonna say no because it's But like is this is that the toned down like in the book you can do whatever you want, but in the movies we got the code, so we have to fix it a little bit. So we still need an aggressive love scene, but it's just going to be this. So but do they have like? I don't think Raymond Chandler like had explicit love scenes. I don't know. That's what I'm asking you. Like that's. Yeah, I don't. Know. Anyway, I don't. Get I'm not it. a big. I'm not a big uh, mystery fan. That's no. That's fair. Anyway, strange. Although, if people, if people know, yeah, write know. in. But uh, my mom probably is texting me right now. She's yeah. We'll, we'll have you on for the follow-up uh, Strong Kiss she says, she says Chinatown is fab, all in question, uh, all is, capitals. That, that it is. That it is. Um, okay. We're going to move to an extended what you're watching because we need to talk about a movie that we have all seen. Oh, boy. That you all need to see. It's on Netflix. It is called, this is like, and now for something completely different. You guys like segues? Okay. Uh, it is called Fire, and it is a documentary about... The failed fire festival. What year did this occur in? Two thousand like last year. Seventeen. But or also, 18. there is the same, the same week. Maybe Hulu also dropped their competing fire festival documentary. But oh, I, are you? I really? Yeah. yeah. I didn't know that. And a lot of people are watching them in tandem. But I did not <sighs> watch the Hulu one Nor because I. I found out that they paid McFarlane um, a quarter of a million dollars <gasps> to interview him, which is another scam that he pulled. I because. <gasps> Everyone said that he added basically nothing. Well, of course. he He's just going to lie. He's he just a pathological lied. liar. Um, does, oh, my goodness. If people don't know about this, it was a festival, a music festival that was organized by a bunch, like a social media promotery type person. Mm -hmm. A bunch and of ja Silicon Valley It's like a bit of a tech bro. I, I don't think they're even from, I think no. it's like a New York based thing. Yeah, you're right. It anyway, is but it was uh, like a tech, it started like a tech bro sort of company that were like, um, invented an app, and we're going to use this music festival to promote their app. Mm -hmm. And then in, they just started a major viral marketing campaign that was, like, incredible. And then people just were so swept up. And this documentary covers, like, its genesis of, like, the the viral marketing campaign, why so many people were experiencing such major FOMO. And then it just gathered this huge momentum. And even, like, near the end, when people started taking a step back and realizing that it was not going to work. It was so hard to stop the train. Mm -hmm. And it just was this incredible explosion of, like, uh, media, like, social media and disaster. And it was... Uh, it was the most... It was my favorite film of the year so far. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Not really, but I was, like, well, the, the, laughing the, so the hard. The documentary is great. Like, it is a well-made film. But the story is just so nuts. And it's just wild how, like, 
you know, like it was just a hype machine and that's how far it went. A bunch of people wound up stranded that stranded on an island for at least a day. Like that's and you hear about all these things that went on and uh, there's actually a guy. Did you hear about the guy who won the contest from his work to go to the fire festival? <gasps> no. Okay. So this dude is writing a book or some sort of thing. But what happened is he was at work. He worked for a large corporation in the States, like a huge thing. Everyone puts in $5, and the winner gets to go to the fire Festival. Oh, because the tickets were like $4,000. Yes. It was marketed as this highly exclusive mm-hmm. music festival on a <laughs> secluded Bahamian yes. island. Yeah. yeah, owned by uh, Pablo Escobar. Yeah, once, uh, once owned. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, um, so the dude wins. He said he didn't really care, but... The, the whatever he's creating from this is that he's the only one who enjoyed the fire festival because he was like a lower middle class guy in a sea of rich people who didn't know how to handle themselves and he was fine yeah well he said like you know it sucked and there were problems but he brought water and a water bottle because he knew that he might need it as opposed to someone who is of used privilege to having, yeah. and is used to paying four thousand dollars for a weekend but uh, yeah, so that's coming out now too. There's oh, going to be I'm some fascinated. sort of also interviewer, like a breakout iconic story from this is the um, one of the higher ups, an organizer named Andy King. Oh, um, he goes. He I don't know if I should spoil this, but he basically is an organizer that will go to the ends of the earth you, to you help hire this man to like, put he will. this festival on. He, yes. he, he if you're not willing to do this for whatever you're organizing, then you are not doing it well enough. Yeah. I had to rewind I rewound it like three times and just like <laughs> looked at the deadpan delivery and you know, it was the best. Yeah. And you're like, what is he talking about? And then he like Fully drops states. the bomb. Yeah, he but, was kind of like he was kind of the only grown up, as far as I can tell, yes. in the sea of tech bros, mm-hmm. who like is a fixer professionally, and yeah, yeah. just like he was, was there to. He was willing to perform a sexual act, which is so out of the realm of okay to, to, to get to on a Bahamian minister to, to get past customs, and he didn't have to. Spoiler alert! No, but. well, because the 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 customs guy is a decent human He's being. Like, yeah. What are you talking yeah, about? I don't know how that's a problem solved. Like I don't it's, know. Like, okay, so also we should talk about so Billy McFarland is he was like I think was he the CEO yeah, of the company and is like for sure at least a sociopath, and, if not a minimum, psychopath, yeah. and. Yeah, is a, a wholly delusional human being mm-hmm. um, and a terrible person. And I really enjoyed the sort of overall arc of this, just everyone just throwing him under the bus. Yeah, it's incredible. Um, <laughs> and the, although that part I was getting so much pleasure by, but then there was parts where you realize how much of the Bahamian people who have like mm. every able-bodied person like over the age of 15 had basically like grabbed a shovel and had been putting this festival mm-hmm. on for the past like four months well it was supposed to be like a five-year commitment yeah so it was work for five years exactly. right? like that's a, a full-time job left. and when it yeah. fell through none of them got paid there was luckily there was like a gofundme yeah that um was started for one of the hotel and the uh, restaurant owner. It was restaurant that, yeah, owner that woman who and savings because she, she paid her she workers. paid her employees even yeah. though she got paid nothing and it wiped out her savings but um, yeah, it was that part was a bummer. But 
The well, GoFundMe is helping. Them. And mm-hmm. the thing I liked about the film is that they were very careful to re-inject this human element to this story that had kind of just become a meme. Mm-hmm. Like, because... The the interesting thing is, I remember like a week before Fire Festival, seeing things on Twitter start to like come into the consciousness of like, y'all, this is going to be a mess. <laughs> and so many people still went, which I'm just like, the information really was there. Like mm-hmm. this one man, that man who had the website, like he was just like in a, basically like, an investigative yes, journalist yeah. chronicling right. all of the issues. Mm-hmm. And it's like that info was on the Internet for you to find. Like I saw stuff a week before mm-hmm. him. Um, so it's, but, and it's very easy, like still, there's still a part of me that takes a real pleasure in seeing all these hugely rich people be scammed a little yeah, bit. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Because it's like, yeah, that's what happens when you have no touch, when you're out of touch with reality mm-hmm. and like just expect everything to be fine for you all the time. But I did like that they really did like, they, they laid it out for you. Like this was also traumatic for the people mm-hmm. who lived on this island like it kind of grounds it a, a bit which i like well uh, at one point in the film what was the the organizer the older man what's his name andy andy uh he describes how he left the island after all these people oh, were so upset yeah. and he had to like buy he, someone's clothes and hide in a truck yeah to get oh yeah away. he switched because they were, were worried so people had angry. taken out hits on them yeah the <laughs> bahamian people who they hadn't paid and somewhat rightfully so yeah but like Oh my god, like how do just how does the degree this the degree to which it got out of control. Mm-hmm. And as someone who like organizes events as mm-hmm. part of my job, this was so stressful. Well, uh, this is the thing is like when you're putting on an event, there is a bit of an element of like what it if always, this doesn't yeah. go right, like mm-hmm. it feels like it's not going to happen and it does and then it always pulls together. And so maybe that's what they were thinking, but there was like one character who wrote a very explicit email to Billy and was just like laid it out so easily he's like this is your very last chance like people are coming here and they, they're going to die they are going major things are happening and he's like you can still cut like yeah. figure out like small cut your losses mm-hmm. here and he just sent him back the most like haha at least they'll see your smiling face or something yeah. and he, <laughs> it was like you are sick yeah. you're a sick person uh I, as another person who does a lot of events at work, uh, it was maybe 15 minutes into the film, and they're like, okay, so we have five weeks to pull this off. And I said out loud, oh, this is going to end bad. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's like, that's not enough time. Like, that's, I've I love, been a part of small events that yeah. have taken longer than this. They interviewed that one guy who's like organized music festivals for 20 years or yeah. something, and he's like, you need a full calendar year. Yeah, like, you, they had like three months. Mm-hmm. And they're like, we can have a guy named David, but spelled. M. David. <laughs> M. David. I can't. Uh, and then also there was that guy who was like the pilot but not a trained pilot. Oh, yeah. Who was like trying to convince I, them to buy I, toilets. Like you need a thousand toilets. And they're like, buy you're fired. <laughs> like, How dare you tell uh, us You this. need to step back. You this need is to. such an <laughs> insignificant part of this film. But that man, who also I think is not without blame, mm-hmm. taught himself to fly planes from Microsoft Flight Simulator. It's very accurate. And except for when they took their first tour of the island, they were like, the pilot just cut the engine (laughs) and let us do, like, just drop straight down to experience, like, zero gravity. That's 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 the thing. Yeah, but I would rather do that with someone who has a license. Oh, yeah. Well, down there, no one has a license, right? You just need a... He owns the plane. That's enough. Are you besmirching the good nation of Of the the Bahamas? No. The Bahamian people are a proud and strong I, I, people. I'm not. I don't doubt that. <laughs> anyway, guys, 
That's, that's all the time we have, unfortunately. Sean, we're going to have to table your scathing review. I have to table my Mary Queen of Scots review. Oh, man. Okay. <laughs> I'm looking forward to so it. So sorry, team. Uh, that's all the time we got. I would like to give a shout-out to the Garys for the use of our theme song, Manituna, my co-hosts, Sean and Sonia, everyone here at CJTR, and to our listeners. This show is broadcast live Wednesdays at 6 p.m., rebroadcast Friday mornings at 9, and is available as a podcast on CJTR's website. We're on Twitter, at SpoilerAlertYQR, and Instagram, at SpoilerCJTR. We're also on wherever you can get podcasts, so that's good, too. My Electric is coming up next. See you guys next week. Bye. Bye.